Why take a vacation when you can beercation instead? Explore the world one pint at a time and join Pub Culture Beercations for one of our upcoming group tours, like Going Dutch, Beer in the Netherlands, with award-winning Dutch beer and travel writer Tim Skelton. As the author of Beer in the Netherlands and Around Amsterdam and 80 Beers, join Tim April 29th through May 11th, 2023 for 11 beery nights as he explores the sights, history, culture, and beer of this often overlooked beercation destination. Visit pubculturebeercations.com for more information. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Oregon is pretty close to my own personal idea of perfection. It is a little bit of everything, from vibrant, engaging cities to sweeping picturesque coastlines and mountain-high deserts. While the landscape is fascinating, the people and the culture might surpass it. Tucked into the northwestern corner of this Pacific Northwest gem of a state is a city with an outsized beer reputation. Today, we're exploring Portland, Oregon. Known for its outdoor-friendly lifestyle, craft beer, coffee scene, and the looming presence of Mount Hood, Portland is vibrant, lively, and full of character and characters. And in this episode, we explore not only the great local beer scene, but the cast of characters who have put Portland firmly in the center of any discussion about the world's greatest beer cities. And to do so, we're joined today by perhaps the two best sources on the local beer scene. Jeff Allworth is a longtime beer writer, author of several books, including the Beer Bible, and the co-host of the Beervana podcast. He has taught courses about beer and the business of beer, and has freelanced for a ton of publications. He's also one of the last beer bloggers standing. Jeff frequently posts his thoughts on beer, culture, and the business of beer at his award-winning blog, Beervana. He is a passionate advocate for all things Portland, and we're lucky to have him help guide us this week. Our second guest is Ezra Johnson Greeno, who is the founder of The New School, which is a great web magazine covering beer and cider in Oregon and Washington. New School is the kind of resource that every beer-loving region would be lucky to have, and as Jeff says, Ezra is the most plugged-in source to the beer happenings in Portland. A native Portlander, Ezra covers beer industry news, style trends, and does interviews and offers commentary along with organizing festivals and events. Stay tuned at the end of the episode to hear my favorite local place to have a beer, and the place is a true character itself. No one episode could hope to capture all that Portland has to offer, but that's not our purpose on the show. We're here to talk about the best of Portland's beer scene. So let's get our Portland visit started with our special guests, Jeff Allworth and Ezra Johnson Greeno. For Beer Travelers, I'm Andy Crouch. Well, Jeff and Ezra, thank you for joining me on this uh, episode of Beer Travelers, where we're traveling to your home cities, Portland, Oregon. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Excited to talk about Portland. Yeah, there's not a lot going on there, and I do feel I do apologize to both of you because I know this will be a little bit of a boring and trying episode, but we'll see what we can do with you know the limited the limited offerings that Portland has. Um, hopefully, we'll get a full 45 minutes out of it, maybe only 15. You know, we'll find out. But I guess we can start off kind of easy here, and we'll start off with you know with Jeff, um, who is not actually a, a Portland native, but in coming to Portland, what was your sort of first impressions of the city? And you know, I don't know if you were a beer drinker at that time or particularly interested in it. You know, how would you you know characterize the Portland beer scene then, and how it's evolved? Yeah, so uh, I came here to go to college. So I was eighteen. Uh, and, but I'm old, so that was a long time ago. Uh, that was the mid '80s, and um, I didn't start drinking really start drinking beer in, until uh, a little later. Uh, although it might have been before I turned 21. Um, we'll just leave. I think the statute of limitations is probably you know. You, you may be old enough that maybe it was lawful then. We don't know. We're not going to go back and look. It was definitely way less illegal. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Fair it enough. Was the 80s. <laughs> Um, so it was, it was early in the craft era, you know, uh, there were not very many breweries, um, but, but there were more breweries here than there were in other cities, uh, in the country. And even by the early 1990s, I think in, 
in part because of a Brewers Festival we have here called the Oregon Brewers Fest. Um, the city had really become associated with beer, you know, as early as the early 1990s. Uh, people who read me know that my blog is called Birvana. I just sort of a, adopted that because it was sort of the nickname of the city. Uh, and that nickname was, you know, already part of the city. People were already calling it that by the you know, early mid-90s. So it, the city has for a long time been associated with beer. And I think part of that may go back to the Henry Weinhardt's Brewery, which was mm-hmm. located uh, on Burnside, just down, like literally in the center of downtown. So it scented the city with the smell of boiling wort. Um, everybody had a kind of sense of what local beer was like going back to 1856, 1862. I don't know, maybe Ezra remembers the date that that was found. Anyway, a long time ago, mid, mid 19th century. Um, this, city, this has been a beer city. You know, we have Great Western Malting across the river in Vancouver. We have the Hopfields uh, an hour south. Um, it's a beer city. It's a beer region. We had Lucky Lager, uh, you know, across the river, Olympia, Rainier. Um, we have, we've, we've always had a lot of beer here. So I think craft beer hit the ground running. And Ezra, we, you know, Jeff referenced the term beervana, which is one that is often thrown around to characterize, you know, the Portland beer scene. I know you are from, I believe you're from Portland, correct? Yep. Born and raised in Portland, uh, moved away for a while to the San Francisco and came back. And what are your impressions of, you know, how the Portland beer scene has developed in, you know, just in, in your time of drinking? I mean, yeah, quite a bit. I mean, my first um, experiences with beer were the Henry Weinhardt's Brewery, although I was I was too young to drink it. I remember distinctly walking around downtown with my dad and and seeing the billowing smoke and, and smelling it everywhere. Um, but then when I when I became 21, you know, there was a few, there was a, there was a few breweries. It was mostly like Amber Ales and and mm-hmm. Hefeweizens and um, most places to get craft beer was mostly uh, by the bottle or go directly to the place. You didn't see the taps. Um, but then we had great places like um, like Belmont Station, and I think really started kind of spreading the gospel um, for people that weren't going directly to the breweries. And then I, I think it kind of like started to really blow up in, in 2009. I mean, the scene was growing like incrementally, but I think 2009 is where it really started to take off. And what was it about that point that you think things started to change? Because, and I, and I definitely want to talk about some of the original players in the in the Portland beer scene because there's a lot of really great old names there and a lot of history. But what happened in about 2009 that changed things? Um, I think I think it was people that who had success, limited success in the in the industry and the beer scene decided to start their own places or new places. Uh, 2009s when when Upright Brewing opened, um, and you know Alex from there was from worked at Belmont Station at the time. Um, a lot of people that worked at Belmont Station at the time, including myself, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, went on to start other breweries or work at various breweries. Um, places started getting enough popularity that they're like throwing some money out. Um, I think this was a height of Portland started becoming a trendy town. So there was more money coming in here, more people buying, more people trying different drinks. Um, so it just it just started to, to grow where people were like, I want to get start my own thing. And then, you know, it took a couple of years, but within a couple of years, it was like everybody was doing it, you know. I feel like in the entirety of the time that I have been writing about beer, which is a little bit over 20 years at this point, talking like Jeff, I'm another one of the kind of old guys in the scene, it feels like at this point. Um, Portland, at least from when I started writing, was already kind of established. It was already one that had a reputation that that people, if you if you love beer, you knew about Denver, you knew about Portland, San Diego, some places like that. Um, Jeff, you know, for those you know, back in sort of the early days, we've talked around you know some of the names here, like you know Weinhards and things like that. But what are you know some of the town's original players, and and what are some of the histories there? I know that frankly, you've even just written a history book about one of them. Yeah, uh, Ezra's right to point to sometime in the the mid to late 2000s as a as a kind of a second or maybe even a third act. I'm not really sure. Um, 
And it followed these now legacy breweries, many of which are either sold or gone, uh, that started in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bridgeport was the first brewery to get beer into the marketplace. Actually, there was a brewery called Cartwright uh, that, that came and went in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and then of the ones that stuck, there was Bridgeport, which is no longer with us. Uh, and Widmer, I think, actually founded the company first, but got beer out second. Um, and they are now owned entirely by Anheuser-Busch. Um, Portland Brewing was another early brewery, which is also not with us. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the earliest breweries uh, is, a, is a chain of uh, brew, brew pubs uh, and pubs called the McMinimins, and they are still trucking along. Uh, and I think one of the things uh, that I would point to that that's kind of distinctive that dates back to that era uh, about Portland is it's really a brew pub town. Um, mm-hmm. we, we definitely have some tap rooms now, uh, more more than we ever have had before. But um, there was an expectation coming from the 1980s that if you had a brewery, uh, you would have a place to go and you could also get a meal there. And I think uh, the McMinimans are kind of the, the forgotten piece of, of Portland's identity because they've never made very good beer and they also don't have great food. So they're kind of overlooked. Uh, they have extraordinary properties. So uh, people like to go there because they buy these old buildings and completely restore them beautifully. Um, but you can always get you know a burger at a McMinimins and there's dozens of them, several dozen of them uh, across the Portland area. So it kind of created this, this idea uh, of a brew pub. And you know, if you go all the way to the modern era, one of our kind of buzz breweries of the modern era is called Great Notion. And they really look back to the McMinimins too. They have started a, their own kind of mini chain and they offer food. Um, you know, it's really kind of a Portland thing. If you go to other cities like Minneapolis or even Seattle, you'll find way, way, way more tap rooms and not so many. Mm-hmm. Pubs. So I think that's kind of our where our, our vibe came from in the 1980s. Ezra, you know, oftentimes when we talk about, you know, talk in other cities about some of the original players, oftentimes those folks are still trucking along. They're still doing, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're falling a little bit on hard times or they've managed to pivot and figure out how to find their place in the modern brewing world, which has, you know, changed and iterated so many different times over the last couple of decades. Portland does seem to have some some places that have fallen by the wayside. And, you know, I've only been to Portland a handful of times, but, you know, I have, you know, these are names that I grew up in the beer scene with and and have have love for, you know, like places like Bridgeport. And why do you think that, you know, some places like those have not stood the test of time or, I mean, frankly, they stood for a really long time. But, you know, how, you know, why have they not survived into kind of the modern beer era? Well, I, I think there's there's two main reasons. I mean, I think one, just the younger drinkers don't necessarily have the the respects or uh, f- for those older breweries, sometimes that I feel like they don't actually get a fair shot um, with the younger drinkers because they kind of come off as your father's brewery. Um, but then also you have to level some criticism at them too for not keeping up with times. Um, Bridgeport, I think, is the ultimate example, um, which was the most relevant brewery and was was the thing you know when I was getting into beer and they took forever to change. And then when they did change, the changes they made weren't what anyone was clamoring for. And it was like, they lost their soul and it was too little too late. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there's other breweries that have been around for a while that I'm like, they continue to innovate and push ahead. And, but it's more difficult for them to find the new, the younger audience when you have like sexier breweries, like great notion, mm-hmm. as Jeff mentioned. Uh, I think one thing that, is interesting about Portland is uh, there's always been, you know, in the, in the craft era, there's always been good beer. And we have one of the most educated uh, drinker base in the country. And so uh, it's really, really competitive. And so these older breweries, like Ezra said, started making kind of mediocre beer. Um, not not necessarily poorly made beer, but mm-hmm. not interesting beer. Yeah. Um, and that's tough in Portland. You know, it's like, uh, it's like being in New York City. Uh, you you can be the buzz restaurant, um, but after ten years, if you're if you're kind of looking a little long in the tooth and you haven't innovated, you're not keeping up trends. You know, you're out the door. Mm-hmm. Well, it has a little bit of that going on, and I think it really has to do with how many people drink beer here. Like 
everybody drinks beer yeah. here. Um, it's really penetrated deeply. Um, men, women, um, you know, all ages, everybody. One of the breweries that I wanted to talk about that sort of fits in between, it's sort of this, you know, one of these original or older breweries, but also one that, you know, will soon, if not already, be no longer and is a cult favorite is Hair of the Dog. Um, I, I'm not even sure where to start. You could do a whole episode or two on Hair of the Dog and Allen and and its role in the development of, of beer in the United States and extreme beer and just pushing the envelope. But, you know, I, I'm, I think it's a place that deserves a you know a couple of minutes of time here, and I'll start with with Ezra. You know what was it about Hair of the Dog? I just don't even know the question I want to ask because I it's it's such a rebel. You know, just talk about Hair of the Dog. I guess I, I usually ask questions, but with them, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. You, you could almost sum it up by what is what's up with Hair of the Dog because yeah. that I mean it, that was kind of the thing. It was like it was so different. You know, I mean, it was even different till the end. I mean, they are they are closed now, um, but yeah, there's nothing else like it, and it was and it really epitomized the kind of do it yourself approach, um, kind of. And it was anti brew pub in a way too. Originally, as Jeff said, I I agree with Jeff with the brew pub culture was big, but they were they were one of the first ones that was like we're not doing that. They were by the train tracks, you know. Mm -hmm. You had to do a dock sale. Um, they were the one of the first places that that started getting the, the line culture of people lining up for beer releases. But of course, on the beers themselves, I mean, one of the first to do barrel aged beers to start resuscitating uh, historical recipes. Um, everything about it was innovative, and they remained like experimental to the end. And Alan Sprints is one of those guys that's like both the brewer owner and. Uh, intrinsically linked with the brewery yes. you know not like breweries today when you don't necessarily know the brewer or the owner like he was everything of that place you know um you know they, they eventually transitioned to actually having a brew pub because he's he's a big foodie so um you know they they actually did kind of stay with the times too like i remember talking to alan um when the hazy ipas were blowing up and i was interviewing him and i'm like what do you think about this? I'm expecting him to kind of launch in this tirade of all the new trends. And he was like, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I'm going to try doing that stuff. Yeah. You know, he just always had a, has a passion for experiment. I've, you know, had dinner with Alan and spent time with him over the years and just always had a passion for, for just beer and just experimentation and just an interest in the topic and, and, and in a way, in a method that, that sort of, changed over the years a little bit but not really it, it, it just is i'm still lacking words to trying to not great for a host of a podcast i suppose but i'm just just kind of blown away by the place and and always have failed to fully capture it so i'm going to turn to jeff to try to tell me you know what was it about hair of the dog yeah i i i think it's it's really cool that he did evolve into this kind of uh senior statesman, but he worked, he loved to work with younger people. And like Ezra said, um, he was always curious about what new people were doing, uh, you know, new breweries. And he would work with some of the hippest breweries. <laughs> I think it kind of kept him alive, uh, you know, as a, as a creative force. Um, he, he, you know, he, to go back uh, to the history piece, he founded the brewery in like 93 or 94. Um, and he had just come from Widmer where he'd been a, a line brewer and he and Widmer at the time, their Hefeweizen, which was a 30 IBU uh, cloudy uh, wheat beer, not a Bavarian Hefeweizen, but an American Hefeweizen. It was really like the buzz beer in, in, in Portland and everybody was making a Hefeweizen, everybody in the Northwest. So it was kind of, you know, that that's that's the context of where the, the market was. And he came out of the gate with like three 10 percent beers right off the bat. Yeah which he sold uh, in single bottles, like you could buy one bottle, you know, you were not buying these on tap at, at, a, at a pub, like you were buying Hefeweizen. Um, you had to, you had to buy them by the bottle. Uh, and they were, you know, these giant boomers. And, you know, in 1993 or four, or whenever it was, uh, people didn't understand 10% beer. That was so far off the grid. It was just mind blowing. And, uh, you know, he was like, 20 years ahead of where the market ended up. I mean, he, he, his approach, like Ezra said, was direct cons to consumer. 
he had a big uh, following of people who loved his beers, um, you know, years and years and years before the whales thing kicked in. Mm-hmm. He was like the original whale. <laughs> yeah. You can take his bottles anywhere and people would be excited to have them. So, and his styles yeah, he, were weird, historic styles that no one had ever heard about. And even Michael Jackson might have only written, uh, you know, a, a half paragraph about in one of his books one time. Yeah, just, he, had a, he had a great connection to the the famous Portland beer writer uh, uh, Fred Eckhart too, which um, I think connects to that piece that you're talking about. And, and uh, I wanted to get into Fred, and so let's let's yeah. do that transition to some of the some of the classic characters characters of Portland and its beer scene because it has quite a few, and I think that they also also you know, we'll talk Great Notion and Wayfinder and all these these uh, newfangled breweries with their fancy beers, but uh, you know we got to give give some props to the to the to the folks who came before. Tell me about you know Jeff. Tell me about Fred Eckhart, who was my you know personal favorite American beer writer. Yeah, or beer writer yeah. period. Yeah, he was great. He was um he so he's a he was a World War II uh, fighter a Marine um, who started writing, he was a home brewer. So he started writing about beer in the late sixties, I think. Ezra, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. You may have this story better than I do. Um, but, but he, you know, he, he was writing about beer for a long time, um, wrote a kind of a famous homebrew pamphlet. Uh, and then, you know, started writing. He was, he was the, the person who was writing about beer when craft beer first came out uh, and when was sort of, he was already an established writer, an established voice. So the, the the brewers were excited to talk to him and have somebody who, you know, who understood what they were doing, who could write about it. Uh, and by the, you know, by the 1990s, when I started to be aware of Fred, he was already this kind of senior statesman, mm-hmm. a sort of mascot for the city. You'd see him at all the beer festivals. And he, you know, he, had, he was this sort of short guy uh, with this, kind of famous mustache fantastic mustache (laughs) yeah uh he would often wear really bright shirts so you could see him really easily and he would be surrounded by young people um who come who would treat him like a celebrity uh and he you know as as much as he's known as a writer i kind of think of him as a storyteller because that guy uh would talk for hours and Mm -hmm. you just get him rolling and he would he would tell you some amazing stories ezra any thoughts on on fred I mean, just mostly to echo what, what Jeff said. I mean, yeah, he was always a source of of wisdom and anecdotes um, that were often repeated by the industry and by fans. And and that mustache, I think, uh, anecdotally inspired a lot of early beer nerds. So a lot <laughs> of beer nerds rocking that mustache back in the day. <laughs> and Ezra, let's have you talk about another one of the classic characters of the Portland beer scene and and he rivals you know Fred and that's Don Younger um, and Don Younger was the proprietor of the Horse Brass Pub in Portland a classic old historic beer bar one of the earliest proponents of craft beer in the city one of the great supporters uh, passed away about five years ago now um, you know what was it about Don what was his story yeah, I'm glad you brought Don up. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he's he's a legendary character. Um, you know, famously, he he bought horse brass on a napkin after a drunken night waiting on his car to be fixed. Um, <laughs> he wasn't uh, he wasn't even a craft beer fan at first, but he he fell in love with uh, English beers like Bass Ale, and then when uh, Cartwright Brewing opened in 1979. Um, I believe horse brass was the first place to sell it and it was only by the bottle at the time. Um, it wasn't, wasn't that great. didn't last very long, but shortly after, um, more breweries started popping up and I've, I've heard stories about, uh, Sierra Nevada's Ken Grossman driving one of the first kegs of pale ale up to the horse brass. Um, a lot of the early craft beer, um, pioneers would gather at horse brass. It was, it was pretty much the only place you could go to find, great beer other than a produce row um back in the late 70s early 80s the oregon brew pub bill was was crafted at the horse brass um which kind of you know established that 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 culture of brew pubs that jeff was talking about earlier um and then you know he he was a great publican he was like you know for for my money like the most legendary 
you know, craft beer industry publican. He was always there. He was always at the bar. He always had a cigarette, um, scotch, and often a light, a light beer um, or or English style beer. Um, he would regale you with stories and wisdom, and many people got their starts. Uh, would go to see go to see Don, get some wisdom, some tips from him, and then go out and start something. Yeah, Don, I only got to meet Don in his home environment once. I've met him and I saw him in Denver at, you know, every year he basically had a he had a bar stool named after him at the famous Falling Rock. He just anchored that end of that bar stool for the GABF. I have no idea whether or not he ever actually attended the festival or not. I think he may have just sat there smoking his cigarettes, you know, when they allowed him to, but I found him in his own uh, home bar at the Horse Brass one time, you know, that I was in Portland, cigarette dangling from his lips. Just putting putting quarter after quarter into the either the one of the slot machines that he had over in the corner, uh, just a classic old, you know, crazy bar character who who's meant a lot. You know, Jeff, what did you know? We'll just do briefly here. What did Don mean to the Portland beer scene? I mean, I think Ezra really captured it well. I don't have a whole lot to add. Uh, I think I think um, just in the history of beer, an overlooked piece is the retailing side, so the bar side. Um, in order for craft beer to be successful, uh, you know, particularly when you're talking about the the 1980s, um, before people understood brew pubs or or selling from their own place, they had to go out and sell draft beer at at bars and pubs. And when you talk to the old timers, the founders, the Widmers and um, Carl Lockhart and folks like that, they'll talk about these incredibly important accounts that helped them get started. Without which, you know, they they never would have gotten started. Um, and Portland has always had this incredible dive bar scene. We have, I think, because on the West Coast, we have we still have cheaper real estate, <laughs> even though it's really expensive compared to the rest of the country. It's still cheaper than San Francisco and Seattle mm-hmm. and LA. Um, dive bars have managed to kind of hang on. And, um, you know, dive bars were the, the original place where where these beers were sold. That's all there. There was no such thing as a non-dive bar. <laughs> I mean, the bars were dive bars. Um, and people like, like, uh, Don were just incredibly important. You know, we, when you're talking about small volumes, the amount of beer he could turn over at the horse brass and bring the energy, you know, that's where the the people who liked beer uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, um, the, you know, they were the beer, the early beer nerds, the proto beer nerds, they would go to the horse brass. So it was really important to have a beachhead like that for the, for the original brewers. And we'll be right back with more beer travelers. Stop living vicariously through other people's social media posts and get out and make some memories of your own. Join Pub Culture Beercations for one of our upcoming tours and start exploring the world one pint at a time with us. Visit pubculturebeercations.com for more information. Want more beer for your ears? The new All About Beer podcast, hosted by M. Sauter and Don Tess, takes a deep, engaging dive into the hottest topics in beer. Do you need to know what the heck a cold IPA is? Check out the first episode wherever you get your pods. New episodes drop every other Thursday. And now back to beer travelers. So now we're back with the rest of the Portland episode of beer travelers with our guests, Ezra and Jeff. And this is where, if you've listened to any other episode of this podcast, you will know we're going to get into our sort of rapid fire lightning round. We do some quick questions off the cuff answers. We then end up devolving into a long conversation that gets away from the whole concept of a rapid lightning round. But, you know, we'll start off. We'll start off that way. And I've sort of started off asking some similar questions in previous episodes about the three best breweries for this or that, and we'll probably get there. But I think I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. And then I think I'm going to ask each of you, you what is the best, you know, Jeff, we'll start with you. What is the best adult entertainment club, also known as a strip club, uh, for craft beer in the city? You should should not start with me. You should definitely not start with me. I'm an old man and I'm, I do not go to strip bars anymore because I think it's creepy. So uh, I'm not the, the guy to ask. And Ezra may or may not be the guy to ask, but here yeah, I'll, I'll give him a chance to answer. But I would love if we can't get an answer as to where to go, then I'd love to know more particularly what what is the role of these places? Because it is unique in this country. I am also not somebody who is a particular denizen of these establishments, and uh, but they have a unique role in the history of beer, in in craft beer, in in this particular city. So Ezra, you can either give me your favorite, or you can just talk a little bit about you know the unique role that you know that adult entertainment or strip clubs play in the craft beer scene in Portland. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 
a, a big strip club goer, but like if you know anything about that scene and and the craft beer, there's really only like one place that comes to mind is like number one, which is Sassy's. Um, and yes, I mean, I've only I've only personally been there a couple times, but it is a, a place where a lot of brewers will come in town, and that's where they end their night. You know, it's a place that has a lot of craft beer on tap. It's it's always affordable, and and I think the strip clubs here. Um, what they they offer that are different than other cities is is an era of being a, a local bar um, where the oftentimes the the performers are more empowered um, and they're more alternative. You see a lot of like you see fire dancing, you see a lot of uh, like punk, you know, um, atmosphere. You know, where there it's it's not the it's not the strip clubs you see in a and in, in pop culture, you know. Um, but it's Sassy's is a, is a favorite place to hang out and have beers. They've hosted beer events, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just unique in this. And you don't, I don't know that there's any, I can't think of anywhere else in this country where you can, you can mash up the two of those. Would you, would you like to, uh, bring in your other profession here? This, Cause there's a, there's a legal, uh, explanation for why Portland has so many strip bars. Are you aware oh. of this? Uh, does this have to do with First Amendment challenges? I can't remember. Yes. So you know, yeah. please enlighten us. Well, we, <laughs> this did not mean to be a strip club. Uh, anybody, yeah, anybody who knows me knows that this is not a particular area of interest. But uh, you know, I think it's kind of a fascinating historical note in the city. It is fascinating. So you know, years and years ago, I think a couple of lawsuits uh, against strip clubs um, were filed, and uh, it went. It, it ultimately went to the Oregon Supreme Court, and apparently, we have one of the most uh, expansive free speech uh, provisions in the Oregon Constitution. And the Oregon Supreme Court ruled that there is you you basically couldn't restrict strip clubs in any way, um, and <laughs> so they're they're protected by Oregon law, and that's one reason why they flourish. Well, Jeff will hopefully put you on a you know slightly safer footing here. What is the, you know, you talked a little bit about it earlier. What is the best, you know, what is the best dive bar, you know, that you would recommend? And that can be one that either has a, you know, craft focus or just doesn't at all. You know, I, I, I would recommend for people to go to a dive bar in Portland. If you, if you want to test a, a city's metal in, in terms of craft beer penetration, how much people like craft beer, you should go to a dive bar and see what you find. Um, because in Portland, you will not find a dive bar that doesn't have, at least in the city limits, you go out a ways, you might find this, but in the city limits, you're not going to find a place you can't find good craft beer. Um, I think I would probably go with the, I would take people to the Reel Em In, uh, which is a, a kind of a classic old dive bar um, uh, in inner Southeast uh, that is famous for its fried chicken. Um, and it's, I don't know. It's a great dive bar. It's small. Um, it is, there's a lot of regulars. It's cozy, great beer, uh, just comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's a great place. Ezra, what's your, cho- your dive bar of choice? Um, yeah, if I had to name one, I probably would say the real them in too, but, um, the other good examples would be the Vern and the slammer. And if you want to go for, uh, the combo of dive bar and good beer, is Roscoe's, which is actually like world-class beer bar in a dive bar setting. So if we transition from from dive bar to craft beer bar, uh, Ezra, we'll stick with you on this one. You know, this is a city that, uh, you know, as Jeff noted, is is a place that was really brew pub heavy and now, you know, has its fair share of tap rooms. But it also, you know, historically has some great beer bars. And we've talked about, you know, one of them in, in Horse Brass. You know, what are, you know, what is another, you know, can't miss beer bar? I'm partial to uh, Roscoe's, as I previously mentioned. Um, Belmont Station's actual beer cafe. And I think... For modern day audiences, I think you can't ignore Loyal Legion as probably being the most premier one, current premier one. Let's, uh, have, you, let's, have, is, let's have you talk about Belmont Station. And because I know that you'd name check that you'd also worked there in the past. So, yeah. Yeah. Actually, my, my first um, experience with Belmont Station was when they were just a tiny, they used to be a tiny little bottle shop um, next door to the Horse Brass. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, when I was really getting into beer, I would go there and buy a bunch of bottles and then have a pint at Horse Brass with Don Younger. And then when 
Belmont Station moved up the street like three blocks to their own their own store with a cafe because they didn't have a they didn't have a bar before there. Um, I started hanging out there and I was in between jobs actually for a while and I just sit there and draw and talk and they were like, come work here, come work here. Finally, I was like, okay, I'll fill in. And then I ended up working there for about two years. Um, in the early days, there wasn't many people coming in there, you know, um, but it really established itself for like high curation, mm-hmm. um, kind of a European cafe vibe to it. Very much so. Um cool art, cool signage. It's expanded now to have a back patio and a food truck. And it's, it's really a hub for, for sure, for both the neighborhood and, and uh, beer nerds from out of town. This also gives us an opportunity to talk about one of, you know, Portland's great beer writers and one of the other great characters of that scene. And that's Lisa Morrison. What can you tell us about Lisa? Me? (laughs) Yep. Um, well, I'm sure Jeff's known her a lot longer than I did, but uh, I I first met her when she was writing um, for a number number of publications, and she had her beer o'clock radio show, and I was lucky enough to be a guest to talk about a lot of beer events and stuff like that with her um, when she was hosting that, and even the first event I ever put together was was a pub crawl with Lisa Morrison. And then, you know, she's she's transitioned out of writing to being the the owner of Belmont Station now. Um, so she's she's definitely taken on a kind of a, a senior role and a pioneer of the industry of both um, journalism, but also being one of the 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 first uh, women publicans, you know. I cannot imagine doing a transition from beer writing to actually working in the trade. But Jeff, you know, tell me about tell me about Lisa. Yeah, Lisa's awesome. She's uh, she's about my vintage. So we were both a little bit younger than the the first pioneers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lisa was, I think, a big defender of the old crowd. And uh, you know, she really was somebody who wrote about and 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 championed uh, the founding generation. And I think has shepherded them and kept their 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 memory alive their that store those stories alive probably more than anybody else um if you get her to talk about folks like that she she starts beaming and she'll tell you some wonderful stories she's also just a delightful person i don't know that anybody who's ever met her hasn't had a good experience and won't talk favorably about what a delight she is agreed yeah so that's uh she's got that going for her so let's get into some more of these traditional questions so that you know, we've made it this far into this podcast without actually talking about any of the the modern great names in in craft beer. So let's 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 get to it. Uh, Jeff, what are your top three local brew? And this some of these questions are not fair. I didn't say they were fair. They're going to be tough. We have to make choose favorites. And this list can change from day to day to week to week. But let's start with the heavy hitters. What are your top three local breweries for folks who are, you know, fans of IPA. And I know that that can be such a broad question, you know, whether it's West Coast, Hayes, what have you, I'm just going to plot and just put it all together. Best three breweries <laughs> for IPA. I think you got to start with Breakside. Uh, full disclosure, Breakside is about to sponsor my blog. Um, so just want to mention that. Um, Good. Breweries get out there and sponsor content. I support that. <laughs> but thank you for the disclosure. We'll take it. Yeah, uh, I, I do an annual thing where I talk about the best breweries, and I've been talking about uh, Breakside as one of the best breweries in Portland for long before this year. So um, uh, part of my full disclosure. But Breakside is really the brewery, I think, that if you, you know, everybody talks about regionality in beer, uh, and especially with IPAs. Uh, what, you know, what is a what is a Northwest IPA? It, does it differ? Is West Coast can you bifurcate West Coast between the Southern California and the Northwest? Um, how is it different than the East Coast or the Midwest? All those questions people are curious about. And when they come to Portland, I would say the best place to start to kind of get a sense of that is Breakside because they do, for the most part, classic West Coast IPAs, um, but ones that have continued to evolve and be updated. Uh, their flagship, uh, break it's called Breakside IPA. Most of their beers have a name, but um, IPA is their their, their flagship. Um, you know, that's a beer that has, has gone through evolution since they first launched it. They won the uh, GABF American IPA uh, for that beer. And it, I think they won it right after it went through one of its first uh, 
kind of tune-ups. So it, it's a brewery that is always thinking about what, you know, what where the where the market is and how to meet, meet it. But really within this context, and they did have one hazy IPA uh, during the great hazy thing that was kind of a regular hazy IPA, but for the most part, uh, all their beers are really classically West Coast. So you got to start with Breakside. If you come to Portland, you want to you want to understand IPAs, you go to Breakside. Um, a small brewery, and I, you made you, you made me go first, which is going to if you're going to ask Ezra the same thing, I'm I may be screwing Ezra here. So well, that, <laughs> that's the benefit of this the is that the next, say the same ones, next but, question uh, will be for Ezra, and he's just going to get it right back to you. So all right. Uh, I think Ruse is probably a brewery uh, worth checking out. Um, they are uh, one of the more more recent entrants. Actually, they're not that recent because COVID has made me confused about everything. Uh, before COVID, they were kind of new. <laughs> now I guess they're like five years old or something. Um, but they also uh, they do they do um, uh, their flagship is the West Coast IPA, but they also do a bunch of kind of more modern juicy sort of quasi hazies. They I mean do some classic hazies too, but um they're kind of more in 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 line with uh where the you know like what they're doing out in Boston, for example. Um and my third, I mean we're gonna talk about Wayfinder for other things, but uh Kevin Davey was sort of the the guy who popularized uh cold IPA. If you talk to him, he will talk about how that was not many of the things that he pulled together did not start with him uh, as is true with almost every brewer mm -hmm. uh, noting that the single origin thing is usually a myth um but the cold ipa is the thing the idea uh and the name is uh kevin davies at wayfinder so going there and tasting uh his his uh, cold ipa is probably something people want to do too but but if you go to wayfinder you should only drink one ipa and that's the cold ipa and then you should drink his lagers and I'd recommend uh, to give a, another plug, the All About Beer podcast with M. Sauter and Don Test actually interviewed Kevin in their very first episode. So go back to, if you want the details on that one, we got, I think, a good 45-minute episode. So go back from that. But now yeah, it's Ezra's. Entertaining. So it was, he's an entertaining listen. Ezra, your turn. IPA time. What are your your favorite three places for IPA? Um, I mean, I, I agree with Jeff on two, two of his picks uh, of Breakside and Ruse. And and Wayfinder, I agree, it's strong, but it wouldn't quite make my top list. Um, but I think Jeff is is really overlooking Von Ebert Brewing, recent gold medal winner for IPA at GABF. Um, Von Ebert's the definitely, arguably number one right now in Portland um, for IPA for for I, American. I agree. I agree. I agree. I changed my answer. <laughs> <laughs> You're already locked in. Yeah, we got Ezra, Ezra's going to tell us about Von Ebert. Yeah, so talk to us about the breweries and then tell us this. You know, tell us the story here of Von Ebert. This is where we start getting off of the the subject. Okay. Well, Von Ebert is is really. I think they they were they were wise early on where they've they've decided to really focus on um, American. IPA, which I, th I think Jeff was kind of talking around, but not using those terms earlier, what I call American IPA or contemporary American IPA, which is more of like a, a, a modern update of the West Coast IPA style, which Ruse is, is really all about. Um, but Von Ebert has focused on that and they've focused on their craft lager program very wisely, I think, as those are the two biggest things, at least on the West Coast. Um, but they're constantly innovating. Um, they're constantly tinkering, um, as any good brewery does. But they're, I'd say they're they're less afraid of it than most with their flagship recipes. And they really just dialed it in with this beer called Volatile Substance IPA, a beer that um, had a, a year where it won like three different gold medals. And then they made a fresh out version of it, also won a gold medal. Um, that's, that's an amazing beer. Um, and yeah, Von Eber is consistently... One of the best breweries in the in the state um, across the board. One of those breweries where across the board everything is great. The other one that I would mention um, is if you're a fan of the hazies, you got to say a great notion, which I know we've mentioned before. But if you're in a hazy, double hazy, that sort of stuff, great notions a must go. We haven't gotten too far into great notion. So Ezra, tell us a little bit more about the brewery. Great notion was founded by um, three neighbors actually. Um, and they're all homebrewers, live up in the Killingsworth neighborhood. I, I actually was lucky enough to go over and hang out with those guys a few times when they were homebrewing. 
Um, but they were they were making the the hazy beer before really anybody else was on the West Coast. I think when they were homebrewing it, it was only I don't even think it was fully a thing on the East Coast yet. It was sort of being few breweries were dabbling in it. But they jumped on that and they also jumped on mixed culture beer. And then obviously when they finally found a place, um, and they they picked a, a brewery going out of business to open this funky little spot. It was the hazy beer that really put them on the map, and they've they've you know doubled and tripled down on that. Um, of the beers that you know we talk about, we talk about juicy beers. I mean, a lot of that came out of Great Notion. I mean, their their first beers like Juice Box were the kind of like IPAs where you at the time, especially they were so mind blowing. You'd be like, how much juice per barrel is added here? You know. So we'll go back to Jeff here and talk about. You know, log. You know, Ezra noted that IPA and lager are are really kind of some defining things on the West Coast. You know, where this may be a difficult one. This is one that maybe a lot of folks don't necessarily associate with with um, with Portland. But what are the top three breweries for lager? Because the scene, the lager scene there is is somewhat quietly amazing. Yeah, we're. I would say that uh, Portland is the best lager city in America, and and I recently last year I did that's a some bold that's some bold statement but it's a bold statement yeah it's a really bold statement i'm i'm, I'm here here's the argument go ahead yeah uh i, I traveled around to test test it out on a book tour and I, I i really feel that that's the case we have a bunch of breweries that have uh loggers in their flagship line and they sell a ton of loggers so it's not just that you you can find loggers here it's that breweries are selling a tremendous amount of, of lager beer um and we have a you know uh Cream Brewing is not in Portland. Um, it's it's down the river uh, in in Hood River, but um, pretty big brewery, and you know they've all they're all in on lagers, so it's not a niche thing. Um, they're you know they're selling a lot of lagers. We talked about Breakside, one of their flagships is a is a pilsner. Uh, most breweries will have at least one beer that's a that's a, a full a, you know full time year round lager, and many will have have multiples. We have. Um, uh, Von, I think Von Ebert, which Ezra mentioned, is you know sort of a leading lager brewery. You've got Rosenstadt, which is a is a kind of a a, a, a nomad brewery that uh, does mostly lagers. Um, Zeugel House uh, does mostly German lagers. Uh, Wayfinder does lagers. So we have a not only do we have breweries that sell a bunch of lagers among other stuff, but uh, we have a we have a number of breweries that that basically only sell lagers as well. Um, and, I, and I think we're going to talk at some point about uh, Upright Brewing. I think Upright gets some credit for being, um, uh, and as I mentioned them a while back, uh, being maybe the brewery that first popularized the Pilsners. Uh, and it was pretty early in the, in the aughts uh, or in the, in the late aughts that they got on it. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things was everybody was kind of the, the chefs in town. Portland's a pretty good dining city and, you know, around 2010 or something, uh, as these IPAs were slaughtering menus, <laughs> people discovered that a good Pilsner would actually complement their, their menu. So mm -hmm. we started seeing, uh, Upright's Pilsner all over town because chefs loved it. And, and, um, the founder, Alex Canoom is sort of a, uh, foodie himself. So I think he had a kind of an orientation to that. So just to say Portland has, there's a lot of lagers in Portland. Um, I think my, my three favorite lager breweries are probably Wayfinder, uh, which we've talked about. Uh, and, oh, and, and I think another brewery we got to mention, it's not in Portland, but it's a really important brewery, uh, in the Portland market is Heater Allen. It was the mm -hmm. first log, all lager brewery. Um, it's located about an hour away in, in wine country. Um, they were the ones that really championed loggers to begin with. Uh, so important brewery. Um, you, you got to mention Wayfinder here. I think Kevin Davies doing amazing work uh, with his loggers. Um, I just really, really love his loggers. Uh, whoo! I, I don't. Uh, Zoigel House. I'm gonna. I'm gonna champion Zoigel House. They're out in a really remote kind of place that nobody ever goes to. Um, Alan Taylor is their German trained brewer. Uh, he lived in Germany and was a brewery mat, uh, manager at a couple of breweries in Germany before he came back. Uh, his Pilsner has won the GABF gold medal. Um, uh, Rosenstadt does great work. Um, whether you want to call them a brewery or not, I think they get they, they fly under the radar. Uh, I've mentioned many breweries here. 
Um, we're just you're just going through the whole list you're going to cover them all so that when i ask ezra this question ezra so where are you pointing you know where are you taking people for vlogger he's like well jeff already talked about all thanks a lot jeff yeah jeff even took up extra space by saying rosenstadt twice yes (laughs) (laughs) so any any if you were to pick one place ezra since jeff has gone down through the entire list of of the possibilities where would you take people for where are you going for a while yeah i mean I, I would echo what Jeff has said. I would agree with, I agree with a lot of what he said. Um, and, and I want to reiterate, yeah, why Portland is such a good logger scene. Um, it may not be like the most buzzed about nationally, but I think that's because w- we were so early on it with breweries like Heater Allen and Upright, um, who have been brewing it, you know, since, um, 2007 you know i think heater allen is actually i think heater allen opened around 2005 or six you know the all lager brewery way before anyone was like figuring out the loggers wayfinder has done a good job i think of making it sexy modern sexy um but the the scene in portland's so good that the recent um gabf gold medal winning german style pilsner brewery wasn't even mentioned which is ex novo there's there's breweries here that have won like yeah, gold medals ex- in it that, that people don't even think of as being lager breweries because yeah, Ex Novo is, is one of these breweries that is flying under the radar. Nobody's ever heard of it. Solid beer across the board. They do everything great. Yeah, totally. One of the questions, Ezra, that I always ask that Jeff has already preempted here because he loves to name all these breweries is what is one great place that doesn't you know get enough attention or f- literally the quote is flies under the radar. Jeff's given his what, you know, even though you prompted it, Ezra, what, what is your flying under the radar place? A place that maybe deserves a second look or one that, that just doesn't get enough love. Um, yeah, there's so many of those, um, away days would be high up there. Um, they're, they're a British style, but modern British style brewery brewing kind of like the beers that you might have today in England. Or I think a lot of people, when you think of, British style beer, you're thinking of the older stodgier stuff. This is like a modern day British style. They do, they do do cast beer and they do IPA. Um, but also I, I really think little beast brewing is really underrated as well. They, they kind of got an early reputation as being primarily fruited mixed culture stuff, which is amazing. But then I think a lot of people then kind of didn't realize they can make amazing IPAs and lagers too. And Ezra, I love you guys because you guys are just great with the transitions. This is why it's nice having writers on here. You just you write in this for me. Where are you taking folks for for sour or mixed fermentation or mixed culture beer, Ezra? Um, yeah, Little Beast, like I like I said, and I got to bring it back to Upright Brewing. Upright Brewing, probably number one in that department. I mean, that was the original focus of the brewery when they opened in 2009. Um They've branched out, but they, you can still always find some some world class mixed culture beers there. Um, I mean, you you have to mention Cascade Brewing um, for sours. I mean, it's probably the the brewery that's most well known for it, but in my opinion, not really the best anymore. Well, that was one of the interesting things I'd noticed. We're gone about fifty minutes into this podcast or so, somewhere in that neighborhood. And Cascade, if you ask if you ask folks about Portland beer, you know you're going to get a lot of big names. But you know one of those names that's going to come up for folks is Cascade. Jeff or I, you know Ezra, you know one of these other questions I often ask that people don't love to answer is any you know name a brewery that you think needs to sort of step up their game or has been slacking. And I'm not saying Cascade's that one for you. But you know what is what is it you know what should people know about Cascade? Um, they should know that Cascade was originally founded as actually Raccoon Lodge, which is a brew pub, um, who made fairly standard pub style beers that were popular in the '90s, um, but then kind of stumbled upon um, sour beer in the probably around 20, 2010-ish or so. Actually, maybe a little bit earlier than that, um, and and then they quickly realized that was something that they could make their identity, build their identity around and be really good at it. So they built up this huge barrel program and um, one of the earlier breweries here to uh, do blending, but they also always wanted to stay away from uh, Britannomyces um, because they were a little, you know, afraid of infection because they always did keep some clean beers, but it's interesting now because they've always continued to make clean beers and IPAs and ambers, but now no one, 
knows those beers, even though that's how they had like 10 years of just making mm-hmm. those beers. Um, but I mean, I think between changes of ownership and management and brewers, um, they've, they've really just kind of been sitting on their, their laurels. And uh, I'm, I'm even hearing that they don't even brew that much anymore. Really a lot of it's blending. And Jeff, for you, I'll ask the same question. You know, I, I think it's valuable as somebody who travels to various places. You know, you love to hear about the places that are great, but also you want to hear about the places that maybe, you know, if your time is limited, you should, you know, you should consider going elsewhere. Are there any places that you think that may may fit that criteria that either need to kind of step up a little bit or have just kind of been a little bit slacking? Yeah, I think. I think Cascade is a good place to start. It's a brewery that um, I would, I would, there, there's great mixed firm beers in, in Oregon. Um, Portland is maybe lesser, lesser known that we have some breweries outside of Portland that are really uh, well known for that kind of beer uh, and, and do spectacular work. Um, if people were coming to Portland, I would definitely say go to Little Beast, go to uh, Upright first. I think, I think Upright is the, some of the most accomplished uh, mixed fermentation beer you're going to find. Alex and his team are exceptional blenders. So they produce this stuff that is super balanced, um, really nice acidity, like not, you know, one, one thing that Cascade is famous for is uh, slap you across the face with yeah. uh, ultra acidity. Um, upright is sort of the fine wine equivalent. You know, these are, these are the it's like the old masters who make these incredibly burnished, lovely beers that you just can drink. You know, you, you could you, you could order a pint of uh, some of Alex's mixed firm beers and really knock it back. And in fact, a few years ago, uh, he has a, a regular beer uh, called Pathways, a Saison. Is that what it's called? Pathways? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was 8% and it did not taste 8%. It was a mixed fermentation Saison that you could order by the pint and man, oh man, I got in trouble with that beer some from time <laughs> to time. It was just fruity and a little bit acidic and so complex and lovely and approachable and whoo, you could get in trouble. <laughs> but, and then, and then uh, Von Eber, we got to go back to Von Eber also making exceptional. I would definitely go to Von Eber if you like sour beers before Cascade. So those are three upright, uh, Little Beast and, and Von Eber for, mixed firm. As we start to wrap up here, if you had one neighborhood in which to recommend folks go to a pub crawl, um, where in maybe it's maybe it's one that you know folks from out of town miss, uh, you know that they wouldn't necessarily think to go to. Where would you recommend folks go? I mean, so so my number one for this has some caveats, which is um, the Buckman neighborhood, which is inner southeast Portland. Um, definitely the, the densest, um, area for breweries and tap rooms, but it's also a really gritty neighborhood. So it is a neighborhood where, where I live. what, that's where I live. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's mostly cause Jeff has stayed there. It's stayed gritty around there. That seems fair. It develops, <laughs> yeah. It's natural habitat. Uh, you're kind of on the outskirts of it though, Jeff, aren't you? You're like, you're the nice part of the Buckman. Uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty gritty. I'm pretty gritty. <laughs> I look across. I look across at an one of those old 1960s uh, uh, weird apartment developments, and yeah, we we, we I, I'm yeah. Anyway, we don't need to go where <laughs> I live, but it's gritty. Uh, I, I have some grit. Yeah, it, so it's it's a great neighborhood. There's there's a ton of new places. There's old places. Um, your Cascade is down there that we just we were already talking about, but you have the new location of Ecliptic Brewing. You have probably the most buzzed about new brewery in town, um, Grand Fur Brewing. You have a new location of Level Beer. Uh, Loyal Legion is right there. Some of these are right on the talking the greater Buckman area. I'm not don't don't uh, don't slap me for being like that's adjacent, <laughs> but you can walk between all these all these spots. But the only problem is you might have to walk in the street around some broken class, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's pretty safe. And it, it's the neighborhood I find myself in um, most frequently right now um, for, for beer crawls. And Jeff, how about yourself? What do you recommend? You know, maybe outside of your own gritty self-made neighborhood. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, there actually on my website I, I have a few pub crawls if you want to do these uh that you can you can check out 
Um, the the Portland is a is a compact city. It's it's inner core is is pretty compact. So there are a lot of places where you can do pretty quick pub calls. Um, we might talk about uh, downtown Pearl District. Um, you can get to Von Ebert's downtown thing in the Pearl. It's really close to Ten Barrel, which is where Whitney Burnside, who just recently founded uh, Grand Fur, uh, used to brew, and she won mm-hmm. a ton of awards there. She was re- she 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 hired uh, as her replacement uh, a woman brewer who is a woman of some renown, uh, and so that that will continue on, um, Maddie. So that's cool and. Uh, uh, Deschutes is downtown too, so you can also hit that. And you're not really very far away from a Great Notion and one of the Breakside locations when you're in that region too. So that's if you're downtown, you have some places to go. And I did. There was one thing we have not. There's one brewery of the eight thousand we mentioned that we did not mention, which is uh, Living House, which is a new brewery uh, that does lagers and a pretty pretty tight uh, IPA for their flagship that opened in that kind of. We'll see if it is a snake bit place but it was where uh the commons was uh mm-hmm. originally and modern times and now living house has taken over and it's a it's a collective of three brewers who are kind of well known for their accomplishments elsewhere so that's a brewery to watch along with grand for a couple of new new, new breweries and we haven't mess- mentioned steeplejack too which if you ever, ever want to go to a drink a beer in a sweet old church with like in the in the cathedral area of it it's a uh, really cool place to drink uh, beer and they do a lot of kind of cool old school beers. Can add on what Jeff was saying. Uh, Living House is also in that kind of greater Buckman area too. So that another reason and Living House and Grand Fur, as we both just mentioned, are are probably the two hottest new breweries. So you can hit those and some old school ones in Buckman. And then I just want, I wanted to agree with Jeff on Steeplejack. If you're going to take somebody to one place for just like the overall experience, the, the majesty of it. Like you have to say steeplejack. Well, I like, uh, I like that as a place to end. I could continue this conversation. I have a whole host of more questions. We may need to do this again in a few months because I don't think you can capture the essence of this city. We've done a lot of, a lot of our best work here in history and things like that, but this is a city that is, you know, very exciting. I'm very excited to get back out there to try, if nothing else, to go through and test your 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 theories of whether or not Portland is the best logger city in America. I'm willing willing to let that be the case, and I can't wait to give it a shot. But where online can uh, people find you and your work? Let's start with Ezra. Uh, NewSchoolBeer.com is the the main spot, um, but you can also follow my my personal Instagram, uh, Samurai Artist, where you see some of my writing other places. And Jeff, uh, besides just vacationing and relaxing and not really doing much of anything, eventually you'll get back to actually doing something for a living. Where can people find you? Beervanablog.com is my site. And you can find anything else I'm doing there, including books and other things. And I, I like to give a shout out to Ezra. I don't know how how many people outside of Portland might, might uh, read Ezra's blog uh, or site uh, because it is focused on Portland, but it is definitely the most exhaustive uh source for portland based stuff if you ever want to find anything about any brewery in portland it's the place to go new school's place to go and ezra always has the scoop so i don't even try to get a scoop anymore. <laughs> something's happening ezra knows about it before anybody else you gotta love you gotta love that support for for one another and this is why i had both of you on here uh ezra and jeff thank you so much appreciate it Thanks for listening to the Beer Travelers podcast. If you have a suggestion for a town we should visit next, please drop us a line at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Please give our podcast a review wherever you listen. It really helps folks find out about us. And if you like the episode, tell a friend and post on your socials. Interested in learning more about connecting with an engaged, energetic, and interested audience of curious beer consumers and brewers? We have many different advertising opportunities, including through our podcasts, website, newsletter, and social media channels. For more information, please contact us at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Stop living vicariously through other people's social media posts and get out and make some memories of your own. Join Pub Culture Beercations for one of our upcoming tours and start exploring the world one pint at a time with us. Visit pubculturebeercations.com for more information. All About Beer is back, 
and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. My pick for a place to have a beer in Portland is not one of the great hype tap rooms or historic breweries, but instead a fun, quirky spot. You'll hear us briefly discuss McMenamins on the show, one of the original brewers in the region. Founded by two brothers, McMenamins is a family-owned chain of brew pubs, breweries, and other venues often housed in historic or revitalized spaces. My pick for Portland is one such place, the Kennedy School. Once a local elementary school, the school actually closed in the 1970s. It sat vacant for a long time, only to be later reborn and transformed into a hotel and brewery by the McMenamins. The place retains all the charm of the original school, complete with detention halls, which have been transformed into bars. It's a pretty unforgettable spot for a pint.